the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Welcome to another episode of Ourgasm. This is the podcast where we talk about decolonizing gender and sexuality. I am Lindsay G. I use she, her, and hers, and sometimes they and theirs pronouns. And uh, I am Lenny Peppers. I use she, her, and hers pronouns. On this episode, we are going to dig our fingers into the concept and history of femininity. Um, which, first of all, is a hard word to say. It's an even harder word to spell, and I feel like they did that to us on purpose. (laughs) Uh, I was telling one of my kids today what this episode was about, and they were like, I can't even say that word. (laughs) Seriously, too many N's, too many I's. As I was trying to, like, do some research and take notes for this episode, I kept spelling it wrong. Like, he's in there. But anyway, so we're going to talk about femininity and womanhood and how those two ideas, you know, work together or don't, um, whether they're the same idea. And there's really a lot of ground to cover. I feel like this is one of those topics where we could probably come up with multiple episodes that deal with subsets of information about femininity. So now we're just going to like try to put in what we can and then we'll have more uh episodes like birthed out of this later on i think that's where we've been going with like this whole first season we talked about like really broad topics but we could dig way deeper into them and Mm -hmm. kind of um single out certain like topic subtopics in each one and and still get a whole hour out of yeah (laughs) And I should Um, mention that we don't, uh, much to the chagrin of our editor, like these episodes (laughs) don't take us an hour to record. We usually actually talk for hours, sometimes two hours or more on each topic. And then a lot of it gets edited out in the end. And we're trying to be better about doing like an hour for our editors so that he doesn't have to edit out so much, but it's so hard. So... (laughs) I feel like we could talk about all the things that got edited out as well. Um, <laughs> we could do maybe like like special episodes for super fans that are like tidbits that were cut. Oh, totally. <laughs> you can just guess what the hell we were talking about. Um, yeah. And you can listen to us burp. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, sigh dreamily at each other, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, and imagine us batting our eyelashes, which we do, uh, but you yeah. can't see it because we don't record that part. And sometimes you can hear my cat <laughs> being a jerk and me yelling at him. Um, I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know if my cat being a jerk to me is going to make it into any of these episodes or not, but it does happen, kind of regularly. I hope so. <laughs> okay, so femininity. This is like obviously a huge topic, as we just said. Um, And there's so many different angles that we could start with, but I guess like maybe the easiest way to get into it is to talk about like what it actually means. Mm -hmm. Um, So the easiest entree to that is to look it up in the dictionary, which I did. 
I was disappointed to find that in Merriam-Webster's Unabridged Dictionary, the definition of feminine and womanly pretty much exactly the same, which is characteristic of belonging to or suitable to women for womanly, and for feminine, characteristic of or appropriate or peculiar to women. So it really doesn't doesn't take us very far. I guess I could look up the definition of woman, but uh, I was kind of satisfied in being a little dissatisfied with these because that's kind of how I feel about the concept of femininity in today's culture anyway. I went to the Urban Dictionary to look at it. Oh no, (laughs) never do that. (laughs) The top definition was the female gender role. Not all of them are exactly like this, but most are. It is in a way built to fit the male gender role, masculinity. Feminine traits include, but are not limited to understanding, empathetic, sensitive, submissive, gentle, modest, willowy, and pretty. Willowy? And I feel like, yeah, what yeah. Is, which what? Is <laughs> wait, wait. Isn't willowy what you call like a tall, thin person? Or is there like another definition to willowy? I'm looking this up. So in the Urban Dictionary, a girl who is tall with long limbs and long hair, resembling that of a willow tree intended as a compliment damn girl you look willowy (laughs) (laughs) i don't know (laughs) uh merriam webster's unabridged says that willowy is resembling a willow gracefully tall and slender delicate and supple so i guess the the gracefulness okay delicate okay um not sure about like the tall aspect uh that's just that was completely out of left field did not see that coming okay (laughs) interesting like the rest i can all i can at least understand how um people think that even if i don't agree with it but willowy i don't know about but i feel like the urban dictionary version of it at the Urban Dictionary definition of it was my favorite one of the three. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It gets a lot more specific. I also dug into Wikipedia, um, oh. which I actually feel like is pretty good for this kind of thing because it is crowdsourced and like much more so than academic definitions. Most of us live our lives according to, you know, crowdsourced definitions of things. So Um, There's obviously like a large article about femininity on Wikipedia, um, but there were some standouts that I thought I would read. First of all, traits traditionally cited as feminine include gentleness, empathy, humility, and sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Let's see. And then there are are quotes from different thinkers who have sort of put, um, put different ideas into play. Um, which I won't get into just yet, then, oh, here's a whole list. Feel free to call any out if you don't agree with them. Traits such as nurturance, which I didn't know was a word, sensitivity, sweetness, supportiveness, gentleness, warmth, passivity, cooperativeness, expressiveness, modesty, humility, empathy, affection, tenderness, and being emotional, kind, helpful, devoted, and understanding have been cited as stereotypically feminine. So that's what we're working with 
as far as like what the dominant culture sees as feminine at this point in time. Okay, so we got to talk about uh, real quickly the fact that when we're talking about femininity and womanhood, we are unequivocally talking about expressions of gender. And for both of us, I am pretty sure I'm correct when I say this, uh, gender to us is not connected to what you have between your legs. We both strongly believe that trans women are women, non-binary people are whatever they wish to be. As far as our working terminology here goes, sex applies to the physical attributes of your, you know, down there region. And what we are talking about instead is the expression of self that people can identify with as more masculine or feminine, neither, both, whatever works for them. We are talking about the feminine sort of half-ish <laughs> of the spectrum of gender here. Uh, absolutely, 100% what Lindsay just said. So I wanted to like uh, start with talking about um, my mom has always been, like without ever calling herself a feminist, <laughs> my mom has always been a feminist. She's always believed that women have um, the ability to do all the things that a man could do in the world. When I was really young, she actually said something to me that stuck with me for my entire life. I still think about it to this day. Uh, and she said that our people believe that a nation is not lost until its women's hearts are on the ground. Whoa. Yeah. And, and what it comes down to is I was basically raised with the belief that women are essentially the hearts of the community and nations are created and held up by strong women. Mm, I love that. Um, it also sounds to me like it's it's getting at sort of the the depth and fierceness of the female heart. Like that that the strength there is what upholds a people. What it and, and then that that of course to me working into like my area of study, which is extremely niche. Uh, for those of you who don't know, essentially I study native representation in art and media and how we use these forms as tools of resistance. And so one thing during my studies has become incredibly clear and that's that female native uh, American perspectives have been grossly neglected in mainstream media and educational curriculums. And so while I was doing my research for this, it was very, very clear to see that, uh, that like so many of our stories are just gone forever now. But I just want to mention before I get into it, that it's important to remember that the experience of one tribe is not necessarily the experience of another tribe. Right. Yeah. Uh, there are hundreds of different tribes just in, in this country alone. Yeah. Uh, it, it comes down to a couple of main things. First, our stories have been mostly told by white males mm -hmm. who either only ignore Native American femininity or totally fetishize Native mm -hmm. American femininity. And so these problems are extremely clear today when we look into the issues of murdered and missing Indigenous women. Right which outwardly shows what happens when a group of people is erased. Right. Uh, people don't care about what happens to them. 
and then fetishized, which makes us targets for, for violence. Right. So right now, to give an example of this, a single tribe here in Montana, uh, I'm a descendant of the Crow tribe. And right now there are 28 open cases of missing women right now. Oh my God. In fact, Hulu uh, covered this in their show Dead Silent, season four, episode eight, about Rylan Rides Horse, who was a woman who was taken and tortured and burned and was found alive. So if you guys want to um, kind of watch that and kind of, I think they go into murdered and missing indigenous women a little bit more as well. 84% of Native American women experience violence in their lifetime and murder is the third leading cause of death for us. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. In 2016 alone, more than 5,000 women were reported missing. Wow. And those were the ones that were reported. Um, More often than not, uh, they go unreported or are like reported as other things like exposure where you have a perfectly healthy young woman um, dying of exposure, like just feet from their house. Yeah, and things yeah, like that. that happens like a lot and has happened a lot recently. Uh, just this year, there was, I think it was like at the end of last winter, maybe? God, I don't remember. But there was a, a young woman who went missing and was missing for like two weeks. And it actually got quite a lot of attention, which was really good to see. Like people were getting really fired up about it. And then she was found out, she was found like right next to where she disappeared. I think it was like a hundred meters away or something from where she had gone missing from after two weeks. And they said that it, she had died of exposure. And it's like, if she had been out there for two weeks, a hundred meters away, away from where she disappeared, she would have been found. Yeah. And uh, she's not the only case from that specific area where that specific coroner has yeah. used uh, exposure as uh, a way that the, that these women died. Right. The majority of women today with Native American ancestry do not live on reservations. Mm. They make up a considerable part of the population. Right. Um, but because Native American women are basically just represented by popular culture in either the Plains context or a generic Indian context, mm. um, or uh, as a squaw. Right. So that's like kind of where we stand like right now in today's viewpoint. And if you want to like learn more about like the squad representation, you can go back to the Disney episode where we talk about that a little bit more in depth. Yeah. Would would I be correct in saying that like, at least from my, like, I I feel like anytime that I have heard the term squaw applied to a character or something, it's like this like voiceless person who kind of like follows men around am I well the spa is the in between the maiden and like the crone Mm, like parts of Native American womanhood in media it's a stereotype Mm -hmm. and it is everything from a woman who is kind of a servant but is always a like beast of burden Hmm and sexless even almost genderless just made to like carry babies and do work and yeah they don't have a voice but that 
can be attributed to the fact that um, media in the past has tended to take voices away from all Native people, except right. for when they're being, like, um, violent. Right, war whoops are okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly, in the media, yeah. And so, because the Native is usually, like, completely, like, gone unless they're needed to forward a plot in the mo- or, like, movie or a storyline, Yeah. Uh, Native American women, therefore are even more like invisible right yeah yeah that tracks for me I I feel like there's something too about um like what you said as kind of like depicting native women as like workhorses mm-hmm. like there, there is something to that that I can't quite wrap my brain around but like I like there's a reason that they are often depicted that way. And I think it's something about like how, how quote unquote unfeminine it is to do hard work. Yeah. Like in, in white, you know, Eurocentric and a, you know, now American culture, like women are supposed to not be active workers. Like you are more feminine if you have soft hands, right? Uh, yeah. And all through history, it's been that way. But in addition to that, the counterpoint, part to the the squaw is the buck uh who is considered to be lazy and so this so the squaw stereotype is actually like carrying the weight of both her and the buck like in within like this stereotypical world oh that's Um, interesting because both of those gender roles go against the dominant culture's version of like the man should be the energetic one who does all the work. So we're going to depict Native American men as the opposite of that and then switcheroo for the women so that they're clearly even farther othered. Yeah. For Native American women, when creating and adapting gender roles to modern day women, there's like this continued play with the traditional role of housekeeper, childbearer, nurturer, um, but because, and I'm talking about this next, but because we were originally in culturally, like didn't have these specific attributes put upon us. When we were confined to these roles, we no longer enjoyed like the unquestioned positions of power, respect, and decision-making that were often a part of our cultural uh, views. Okay. I have always heard that one of the reasons that so much has been lost in translation and then carried into like lawmaking and, you know, the carrying out of genocide against Native Americans has been based on the fact that like when when white dudes showed up to trade with, talk to, translate from, learn about Native Americans because they were coming from such a patriarchal background they more or less assumed that the men were the leaders, that the men were the people with the positions mm-hmm. of power. So they ended up talking to the men and taking what they said as sort of the be all and end all. And then rules were made, laws were made, wars were fought with the idea that the power was you know, strictly on the male side, like it was for European Americans. And that's just it's not true. That's not how things worked. It was how we chose to see it. 
Right, exactly. Uh, Pre-colonial Native America uh, was more diverse than the entire continent of Europe. And so again, um, I can't speak for like an entire group of really diverse people. But uh, to give some examples throughout history, many women were leaders in Native American tribes. Uh, For instance, Cherokee women worked in treaty negotiations with the United States. Mm -hmm. The women in the Haudenosaunee Confederacy acted and continue to act as political leaders and chose chiefs. Uh, We have tribes here in Montana that also have um, women leaders who wear headdresses. And in fact, today, like the entire Cheyenne president and council is women. And so uh, women, even though they were delegated tasks for of caring for children and preparing meals and other roles, um, which varied between tribal groups, um, many women were responsible for tending fields. And there were long periods of time where men were off hunting or Mm -hmm. at war, men and women, I should say, because Women were also allowed to do those things in many of the tribes. The women were left behind to do all of the work and basically had significant control over over the social and economic factors within the tribes, like entirely while the men were away. And so uh, there were hundreds of tribes, hundreds of ways of interpreting these roles. Right, yeah. Interpreting femininity. (laughs) Right, exactly. Women fought in war, like Buffalo Calf Road Woman. Right. Who is um, said to be the person who killed Custer. Yeah. And she was, like, pretty good on a horse. Uh, There's a story about her. Uh, She's known as the girl who saved her brother. And she was also the survivor of several massacres in American history. Oh, wow. Yeah, so definitely, like, look up her and her story. Uh, My own great-grandmother was a tribal delegate for the Northern Cheyenne tribe and a tribal leader. And my grandmother and mother were all uh, very active in politics. Yeah. Uh, So I guess I've been raised to question the gender roles that have been put before me in Mm -hmm. terms of, like, this is what you're supposed to do. That's awesome. Good. <laughs> Good. Because these gender roles are stupid, I think. Um, I mean, I, if anybody is surprised by me saying that, I maybe this is the first episode you've listened to or something. <laughs> but uh, not, not super into traditional feminine roles, et cetera, et cetera. Same. <laughs> I want to ask, like, so how has that all changed since colonization? But, like, that is an incredibly huge question and probably not one that can just, like, be, oh, quickly answered. But I wonder if you have any thoughts on that general Yeah. One of the problems is that um, it appears that Native American males have also adopted the pattern of colonial violence, Mm. Um, which is manifested through domestic and sexual violence, child abuse, and homophobia. I mean, the whole point of our podcast is to bring these issues to light. Right. But since we're dealing with like multi-generational constructions, it'll basically take more than just us to change this. Damn it. (laughs) But like one thing is clear though, 
Um, equality will not be attained if historical oppressive behaviors are not addressed, mm, discussed, yes. and changed. And so, like, this is just us doing our part. Oh, and we can't talk about this topic of femininity without discussing also the colonial violence that mm-hmm. comes along with um, femininity when it applies to really all women, but for me specifically, Indigenous women. Yeah. And there's like, there's a lot to unpack in there. Um, and we talked, we touched on this in, in our last episode, but I think it's really something that like can't be stated often enough, um, which is that like when a force comes into a group of people's lives and systematically strips them of their culture, history, language, and dynamics, um, within the group, that group is going to have little choice but to assimilate to, you know, the larger culture. And I have in I have in my life come across people who say things like, well, that was all a long time ago. Native Americans should move on or get over it or, you know, any any number of incredibly insensitive things um, like that. And I don't have the words to explain how short-sighted that is but I think that's why we have to keep coming back to it in these episodes yeah like the reason why we can't get over it is because these ideological concepts still affect us uh in the real world today to this very day yeah um I can say that it was better for the survival of our people as a whole to base roles around uh, within the tribe around one's aptitude rather than what sexual organs they happen to be born with. And so I think that's why um, the idea of femininity is so much more broad in indigenous story work and history. A big problem in society today is the vague half-truths that construct the negative and degrading images of Native American women that the American public accepts as truth. Okay. So Native authors strive to conjure like a positive and current image that truthfully respects the modern Native woman and contemporary females of Indigenous nations, especially are a group without great representation, but are politically and heavily covered in American media. Like I said, Hulu has that whole show Uh, episode dedicated to this topic but they overlook us as a group Mm. in need of a strong voice to represent our population positively yeah um this just came up recently uh there was there's a show i think it's on one of the major tv networks called big sky and i saw a trailer for it before it aired and it's a show about women going missing off of the highways in Montana and the women are white they're like white and they're and blonde even like and I think they're they're supposed to be like travelers from California or something who are like on a road trip they go missing at a truck stop and it becomes this big thing and it turns out that there's a pattern going on and all these women are going missing from truck stops you're telling the actual stories of hundreds of native women who have gone missing from Montana often at truck stops or rest areas along the highway, Mm -hmm. but you're just completely cutting the native women out of the entire story. Yeah, totally. 
I was so offended. I think I wrote something nasty on Twitter about it. Um, and many other people did too. Yeah. And I actually did see recently that like the producers of the show, like have spoken with some uh, native women leaders and have like apologized. Um, but then oh. they like made a show episode that um, took place on one of the reservations here in Montana that was like about a Native American councilwoman, but mm. they didn't like talk to the tribe at all. They didn't talk to the people and they didn't like do it in a way that was like respectful. And so then they were in trouble like immediately after they apologized because they tried to fix it by not talking to Native Americans about it, by just doing whatever they want to do and by telling the story the way that they wanted to tell it without any input. I mean, that was just like the most recent and a very stark example of like literally making the specifically Native American, even more specifically female Native American experience mm -hmm. invisible, like just completely right. ignoring it. Right. Even though that is actually the story that you are telling. And then again, telling the story without actually talking to Native American people about it. I'm literally the person that you can come to in Montana to talk about film. I mean, people write me from New York with their scripts and it asks me to read through them and like how they can make it better. But I am literally like 30 miles away from where this was, you know, happening and <laughs> like a half an hour away from where this is happening. And they couldn't just find, they couldn't contact the Montana film office and be like, how do we do this right? You know, <laughs> I don't know. P.S. Anyone out there who is, you know, looking for input on this kind of stuff, you can hire Lenny for that. She's very good. Yeah. Highly respected in her field. Just saying. I should also mention that when I talk about murdered and missing Indigenous women, what I mean is murdered and missing Indigenous women and people. Historically, Native acceptance of genderqueer people is unmatched in America today, where they're considered outside of the norm. And while we've made significant improvement today in the treatment and acknowledgement of transgendered people, it's still not enough. And so I think it's important when we talk about murdered and missing indigenous women to also acknowledge that genderqueer people are also a target and mm -hmm. erased in culture today. And so I want to make sure that we include that in our conversations. Right. Yeah. Um, there's been, there's been more visibility, I think, being gained by sort of the, the, I don't know if it's an actual an actual movement, but I'm going to call it like the two spirit movement um, as uh, just a way of including multiple people with different gender expressions, um, you know, some of whom we might be able to identify as like trans, um, according to sort of the dominant culture's definition of that. But then there's a whole there's so much more yeah. um, diversity within the two spirit like umbrella, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think it's wonderful because um, if we are dealing with gender as more or less a spectrum, um, which is how I tend to look at it, you can you can be anywhere along there. Um, sometimes you you know one day you can be more in this direction, and the next day maybe more in that direction. And I think it's all I think it's all fair. I think it's all awesome. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and I think it could be in like my ideal like utopian like super hippie version of like a decolonized future like 
we just all are what we are and we identify however we identify and it's not a big deal and people are just celebrated for who they are. And I see a lot of the potential for that in Absolutely. And, and all of our roles are around our aptitude rather than like how big our boobs are. (laughs) All boobs are beautiful. Uh, I actually um, have been following the uh, two spirit movement very closely because I have a genderqueer child Mm -hmm. who um, chooses to not be defined by male or female but just goes by whatever they feel like on whatever day that they feel like doing it and I fully support that that's so cool that's so cool I mean we could definitely do an entire episode on like gender expression and queerness um and how all of that works but um I want to say like real quick that I know a lot of people have a lot of difficulty around pronouns, especially for, you know, folks like your child who, um, you know, may feel like their pronouns vary from time to time. And I know a lot of people are like, well, it's just really hard to remember to call you they instead of he or she or whatever and, and making it about themselves and how hard it is for them. But I don't understand why it's so hard because like, if you know somebody whose name is Richard... And they prefer to go by Rick. You don't call them Dicky. Like you call yeah. them Rick because that's what they prefer to be called and it makes them comfortable. So like if we can do that for nicknames and, you know, variations on people's names, mm-hmm. I don't understand what is so hard <laughs> about respecting people's pronouns. Like it does take a little bit of reprogramming of like grammar rules if you've been taught that they only, you know, applies to plural instead of singular just grammar rules are colonial anyway I can say that the more you do it the easier it gets Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so just do it like damn like just just figure it out it isn't that hard and if you screw up then you just apologize to the person and move on it really is like exactly I have occasionally screwed up at like when I've been drinking or something and like done the whole like, oh God, mea culpa. Like, oh, I called you by the wrong pronouns. I'm the worst person ever. I'm trying so hard. And oh my God, I don't think, I think it's been a really long time at least since I've had the kind of like self-loathing that I do after one of those incidents because like me screwing up and calling you the wrong thing is not about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about me trying to respect you and doing the best that I can. It's a respect thing. So that's just, I don't know, quick little lesson for anybody out there who has trouble with pronouns. Like, just do your best. Make it about the other yeah. person and their comfort and your respect for them. Like, it's not so yeah. um, I I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, I'm sorry, they, them. Um, anyway, moving on. You know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody really, like, needs to hear your whole like song and dance about how sorry you are every time (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, it gets I'm sure it gets very old for people who hear it a lot yeah well so we've talked a lot about the pre-colonial concepts of femininity and how those have changed since colonization and so now here we find ourselves in the modern world in the new millennium the 21st yeah um And there's been a lot of upset, like even just like in the past few years about femininity, like in 
in the culture and what it looks like um, because there's been the Me Too movement, which has led to a lot of like a lot of people blatantly identifying as feminists and then really like just deconstructing what feminism means now, um, mm-hmm. how it can be different across different groups and intersectionality. Like there's been a lot of exploration of femininity in our culture. Uh, you can see it in the media today where like in the 1990s, 1980s, even the mid 20th century, where uh, you have like these really feminine women and then you have like the outsider not like other girls girl mm-hmm. who's kind of breaking down like these feminine tropes and but the thing about that person the thing about that character and the reason why those characters are so um popular is because more people identify with those characters than mm-hmm. they do with the feminine person because more people kind of fall in other places on the spectrum than like way over on like the most feminine end. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like, that's just a numbers game. Like it makes sense. And yet we're, we are shown repeatedly these versions of like the utmost extreme of femininity. And, you know, we're not necessarily explicitly instructed to, to behave like, say, who's an, an ultra feminine, um, Sleeping Beauty, because I love that movie. And I think that like, honestly, one of the parts of Sleeping Beauty, the movie that I like the least is actually Briar Rose. Um, she is like kind of the ultimate Disney princess feminine character. She can talk to the animals. She sings so sweetly. She always wears a dress. You know, she's super slim and sprightly and graceful. She she has all of the feminine traits that we have been taught are feminine. And like, you know, nobody in my growing up experience ever like pushed me up against a wall and said, you have to act like Briar Rose. Well, not specifically, but I do feel like we are told what to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to argue with you on this one. Uh, when we're told to act like a lady. Oh, yes. Yes, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing. Like, it's rare that that we're explicitly told, like, okay, do do these five things and you will be performing femininity correctly. Mm-hmm. But when you constantly see those same five things exhibited in the heroine character or in advertising mm-hmm. or whatever, and then you layer that with act like a lady, um, it does. It it amounts to the explicit laying out of the rules. Right. And but the rules, like you said, are not really like actually defined. It's like dress up but not too much. Like don't dress down. Wear makeup, <laughs> but don't wear too much wake makeup. Um have big boobs but not too big boobs yeah (laughs) smile but don't like smile too big oh you know yeah you know who is coming to mind recent like for me I think she's been in the media a lot recently um but I also was watching like a Pee Wee Herman special where she was on um I don't know why recently (laughs) (laughs) I love Pee Wee Herman and we could have a whole episode on Pee Wee Herman and masculinity (laughs) That would be, um, but ah, that sounds good. Dolly Parton. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways, Dolly Parton is kind of like the American, like Uber female. 
Yeah. Um, so one of the things for, uh, I love Dolly Parton okay. when I think she, I mean, she's self-made. She is just awesome. Uh, and she's what comes to mind when women say they quote, have it all. Oh, um, she has, you know, she's famous. She yeah. is, she dresses the way that she wants to dress. She does mm-hmm. the things that she wants to do. She's successful um, as hell. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like she learned the rules and then broke them like just enough. Yeah. yeah. So I was raised by a mother who I think really in her way is very strongly feminist. And like the older she gets, the more feminist she gets. But her personal gender performance and decisions were very much based around motherhood and housekeeping. And that's that's where she feels comfortable and what she wants to do. So she's an interesting person for me to examine. I swear I'm not going to go on forever about my mother, but like um, she's very feminine in a lot of ways, but never really particularly presented as feminine, like has always had short hair my entire life, um, was always very into sports, you know, things that aren't typically super feminine. And she also did not enforce hyperfemininity on me or my sisters um but at the same time we did get a lot of like act like a lady um and we did I remember specifically my mother having a problem with Dolly Parton when I was a kid before I really knew who she was because we didn't we didn't really listen to like country music so she was just kind of a general celebrity that I was vaguely aware of Mm -hmm. but my mom had a problem with the fact that she had big fake boobs, mm-hmm. that she dyed her hair, that she wore too much makeup. And it was kind of confusing for me because I'm like, but she's doing all the things that make you like the correct woman, right? Yeah, like her house. When I went to Hawaii, I had to go look at her house. It was like a pink mansion. It was like <laughs> painted pink, the walls on the outside are pink. Oh my God. That's so- uh, it's, it's almost like she like took the rules and like blew them up. Yeah. Yeah. And she has talked about that. I've seen like video of her talking about how like she based most of her look on the town sex worker when she was yeah. a- like, she looked at, at that woman and was like, that's what I want to look like. She's awesome. Yeah. She's and, beautiful. And I think that is amazing number one um because yeah the (laughs) a sex worker can be a role model surprise that (laughs) is a real thing um and I feel like Dolly kind of did look at like the uber feminine characters and be like okay I'm gonna do that but more I'm gonna do it harder and better and it's almost like like doing drag uh like her femininity became her power. She took the concept that was supposed to like keep us in these pretty little cages right. and she flipped it to give herself power. Yeah. And what it comes down to is like men feel entitled to women. And so women who doesn't follow these rules are generally cast out of society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at women who have done things like this, historically, uh, we have like, them literally cast out of society and seen as witches or monsters or temptresses Mm -hmm. and um or when a man does something it's strategic but when a woman does something it's calculated 
And while a man is allowed to react, a woman can only overreact. Right. And Mm -hmm. so when we're looking at Dolly Parton, um, some people would say that like the way that she looks is calculated so that she would get seen more and that she would get more famous rather than strategic, like as if like a man who Mm. was exhibiting hyper-masculinity, John Wayne. Um, <laughs> we pick on John Wayne a lot of did the podcast. same thing. <laughs> uh, that that makes me think of like a, a few things. Um, what you said about like women reacting is overreacting um, made me think about like one thing that I've been thinking about a lot as we've been coming up to recording this is how although there are rules about what is feminine and what is not feminine, the actual like shape of what femininity is in the dominant culture right now is very vague. It's very nebulous. Like the tomboy as a, as a celebrated mm-hmm. archetype in especially American femininity. Like you can still be considered feminine and be a tomboy and play sports with the boys and so on. That is not necessarily a huge strike against your femininity. And I, in a way that like, um, a boy who expresses himself more effeminately, he's he's like kicked out of the boy club. He's kicked out of the man club. He is seen as homosexual and or effeminate and therefore less of a man. But there isn't really that same kind of policing of expressions of femininity. Well, I think that um, for the tomboy archetype though, while they're accepted in their childhood, The second Mm -hmm. that they go through puberty, they're expected to start embodying the feminine. So when we see them in film, um, the tomboy in film, there's always a turning point toward the end, even in like TV shows and stuff where they're friends with like their tomboy neighbor, best friend, whatever, the whole time. And then they decide to like go to a dance together and then she overreacts and is like we're in love now and then shows up to the dance like in full makeup and and whatever and then the kid freaks out and is like oh my god that's not my friend anymore you know yeah that's a really good point and if if you continue with the tomboyness after puberty then you're more or less written off as a lesbian lesbians are so invisibilized culturally speaking like unless they are performing their you know, sexuality for the benefit of men. Um, There's just so little representation of lesbians in our culture. Um, Totally. And I, and again, though, like it comes back to the idea that like, if you were assigned male at birth, if you are, you know, a person who was assigned male at birth and as you're growing up, you exhibit more, stereotypically feminine characteristics you are you are more likely to be cast out of the man club like you are not welcome here you are no longer masculine we want nothing to do with you whereas I feel like there isn't that same kind of policing of what is feminine from inside femininity like there just there isn't as strict a control over what is feminine and what is not and I have a theory about it which (laughs) is that it's because femininity is less of its own thing and more of like 
the mirror of what masculinity is not. Right. Like, um, even historically in Europe, men were characterized as reasonable and rational, right. while women acted based around their emotions and intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, women. But you can define reasonable and rational. Like, you can scientific, like, everything in science is defined with reason mm-hmm. and ration. Yeah. But when you try and define something in science based on emotion and intuition, you can't really do it. And I feel like the concept is same, the same when it comes to, like, just physically who we are. Right. Like, men are big, therefore women are small. You know, men are active, therefore women are passive. It's almost like any attribute that gets attributed to the male gender, feminine people just get whatever is the opposite of that. So by default, we're defined as the opposite of whatever male characteristic is being presented at that moment. Even more so the lack of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like more of like a void than an actual category unto itself. Which again, like, makes us our, like, makes the definition of femininity is Mm -hmm. entirely based on the definition of what is masculine. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it also makes it more slippery. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you, if like Dolly Parton was trying to do femininity and my mom was like, oh, well, I don't like her because she's too feminine. It's like, well, the, what? There's like, there, there's no comfortably feminine place that you can just be in where somebody isn't going to be telling you that you're doing it wrong. Morticia Stop. Adams pulls it off. Oh, <laughs> I love Morticia Adams. <laughs> yes, please. Let's talk about Morticia Adams. Uh, Morticia Adams is feminine, but she's kind of just doing whatever she feels like doing at any given time. Hmm. She's beautiful. Uh, she does have cleavage she's a boy willowy <laughs> she's like she defined. is willowy You're she right. is <laughs> she's got the willowy thing going on <laughs> um and this is a quote from her from one of the adams family movies i'm just like any modern woman trying to have it all loving husband a family i just wish i had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade <laughs> i feel and- the same way uh, but what it comes down to is Morticia is like a feminist queen and she does have it all. She's not mm-hmm. only able to do whatever she feels like doing, uh, whether it's rational or emotional, but she can define like her own style mm-hmm. while at the same time having children and a husband who adore her mm, yeah. for being yeah. who she is. And she is outwardly sexually voracious yeah like she pursues gomez for sex actively and that is something that oh boy i could definitely do an entire episode of me just (laughs) talking about my feelings about female sexual passivity as the norm um and i think that one reason that i love morticia adams so much is that she is clearly not that way and yet she is ultra feminine and there's something really powerful about that I mean, I think this character is doing the same thing that the real life person, Dolly Parton, Mm -hmm. is doing, except from the other direction. She is coming from, she's already like, should be ostracized from 
society that she is put into like this like suburban kind of world and she is already considered a witch or whatever right but then she comes in from that direction and then kills it (laughs) it's like she just like rocks it she she slaughters it but i have to point out here we're calling dolly and morticia sort of our like ultra feminine have it all people however morticia does not have a career dolly does not have children true so i i see absolutely nothing wrong with either of those things because i think people should be entitled to do whatever they want but i do think that when we are talking about the like women can have it all we tend to mean the career and the kids right which is that's that's the eternal question of like whether you can really do it both ways and that's probably something that we could discuss much more in like a motherhood oriented episode but i mean obviously femininity and motherhood are so completely oh, yeah. intertwined totally. um that it would be silly not to mention it here that's what's like, dangerous about women is that we control creation and not only that but recently we found that we don't even need men to control creation we can make babies with our own bone marrow and those babies will only be female <laughs> Look out, world. Yeah. (laughs) But I should also mention that I have a career and six children and a house. And you know, that's that's a good point. So I prove that you know this is a real thing. You do have it. I have it all. And you know, you know what all three of you have? Supportive significant others. Absolutely. I I think that is what is often missing from the conversation about how somebody can have it all. Because if we have a masculine identifying person who is very successful, Mm -hmm. we more or less assume that that person is probably married and probably has children and has the support of the spouse, you know, on their side. But that is very different when we're talking about a feminine identified individual. Like, Anytime that um, a woman with kids is interviewed in the media, it's like nine times out of 10, at least, they're going to be asked about like, well, why aren't you home with your kids? Oh, I get asked that just at comedy shows where I'm performing. Wow. Like, (laughs) where, where are your children? Yeah. Like, because obviously your spouse or significant other or other support network people couldn't be watching your kids for you because as a mother and as a woman, that is your role. Yeah. Um, or and somebody you know, asked me once if my house was a wreck because I was always like back when I was doing more co- comedy, I was on the road all the time. And I was like, well, you know, my husband does laundry and the dishes and cooks all the meals. And so it's not really like there's any chore being neglected. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, I'm not doing the traditional roles. And so therefore it's assumed that they're not getting done at all. Right. I don't understand how people don't think that that mindset is insulting to your husband and your children. Like, what are they just incapable of doing things? (laughs) Yeah. They just sit around and twiddle their their thumbs when you're not around. Like, oh gosh, what are we going to (laughs) do? 
<laughs> and it's it's interesting too. I was thinking about this as I was reading today, like um, how a lot of what feminism is fighting against um, for a long time is the infantilization of women. You know, mm-hmm. like seeing us as so passive and and so accommodating and so on and so forth. But the the role uh, that has been ascribed to women in like the family unit which is to do everything for everyone is the exact opposite of infantilization because I I hate to say this most dudes don't know how to do laundry (laughs) you know most dudes can't fend for themselves in a house like that's why we have the whole trope of like bachelors living in complete squalor like yeah they are not encouraged to take care of their surroundings and their health and clean things on their own so it's like, because they're encouraged to find somebody to do that for them right and so it's bizarre to me how women are infantilized and seen as helpless and that's a huge part of what femininity is because masculinity is supposed to be the opposite but when it comes to like basic tasks <laughs> dudes are not doing so hot they're kind of they're kind of infants in that way yeah, well I talked about this in the last episode where statistically men's amount of work goes down and women's amount of work actually goes up significantly when men and women move in with each other. Right. Um, Who's the infant now? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It really is. It's like like we've been raised to be caregivers and then our own experience as like having to be caregivers is used against us mm-hmm. to keep us in the household. Yes, absolutely. And that might go back to our conversation about like the nuclear family a lot also. As we had discussed, like in most pre-colonized societies that I am aware of, there's very much like a group feeling where you know everybody's helping look after everybody else's kids so if somebody has to go do something you don't have to worry about it right there's not like one Mm -hmm. person in this group that is responsible for caretaking everybody there's a whole lot of people who are responsible for caretaking everybody and like stripped of that in a much more nuclear family setting the feminine adult in the situation is supposed to somehow become this superwoman and take care of everything for everyone. And that is literally what is expected of feminine people. Um, and it's like not possible. <laughs> and, right. and it is stressing us out. Like I have been getting little bits and pieces. I haven't done a whole deep dive into this, but I am starting to get the impression that women in America do not sleep. Most of the people I know who are affected by insomnia, myself included, are women. And like, we're, we are so stressed out. (laughs) We are so stressed out. There is so much placed on our shoulders. And I'm sure that that is true for people who identify as male also. um, And for my husband, I sleep like a damn baby every single night, but my husband stays up and goes and get some of the laundry done and checks on all the kids to make sure they're all sleeping and make sure they're, you know, and so, um, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying is like, this is too much for one person to handle. And so by dividing these roles up 
uh, like these household rules specifically to this conversation right now. Um, unequally, then you're kind of expecting like too much out of the other person in the relationship. Right. Yeah. Um, you're expecting the person to take care of you and anyone else in the household, you know, while you play your video games or whatever your thing is, you know, and it's, um, it's unrealistic. It's unfair. And okay. Okay. I will help James out more. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Okay. Just kidding. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but (sighs) no, uh, but like, the problem with this is that there are definitely studies done on this, but there aren't enough studies done on it because medical trials are made for men. Yeah. Women are not like the main subject immediately for every single <laughs> medical trial that exists. Yeah. And, and pretty much like all of our science, all of our medical science is based on the male body. Like the, the groundwork yep. of what we know about the human body is all male bodies. Yep. And I shouldn't say that. I should say cisgender men's bodies to be specific here Um, right so like we really don't understand how things work for cisgender women's bodies and especially we don't understand trans people's bodies um not as much as we could if you know i mean even medication is made for like doses of medication is made for men absolutely um and male cisgender male bodies I am able to take a half dose of almost everything like over-the-counter medication, unless I'm having like a really bad day. Like I can usually take one pill instead of two, if two is the regular dose and I'm fine. Um, Mm -hmm. And even like my prescription medications, I literally have to cut them in half. (laughs) But, oh, excuse me. But that's a whole other thing. Um, Something, oh, no, go ahead. A couple more like statistics on the same line though when we look at like feminine body features, things like seat belts are made for men's body. So 47% of women are more likely to suffer injuries in a car crash. Yeah. For every female character in the movies, there are 2.24 more male characters in movies. Wow. There's women still in jail right now for driving. Oh yeah, that's true. Yep. And women in the military are more likely to be killed by fellow soldiers than Mm. uh, in battle. All of this is uh, coming down to, there have been actually communities formed around the world that are specifically for women to escape gender-based violence. Like there's actual full communities like in Finland and Kenya, where in order to get away from like violence that's caused by perpetuating these ideas of gender. Yeah. (laughs) you have to create a whole community just to get away from it. I just had a thought, which we could talk about for way longer than we have time for, but we can come back to it in other discussions. The idea of women as being passive and being the receivers is, I I am certain, without having looked it up, um, is intrinsically linked to women as being the, the penetrated in sex. Like, we are literally the receivers of you know, heteronormative, heterosexual sex. And so I am 100% certain that a lot of our receptivity, passivity, you know, quietness and demureness is because that is how dominant culture, i.e. the patriarchy, has has portrayed us. Yes. Um, 
I feel like there is a certain aspect of like our being passive that is extrapolated into violence very easily. Like I, I think that women as being receptacles or receivers Mm -hmm. for male physicality and emotions there like there is something there that's tying these two together like you are the site upon which I dump my negativity my fears my anger my violence because you are the receiver so I will give it all to you and and we're we're raised that way like we were just talking about how you know women in the household are supposed to be the everything the yeah. one person support network and the roles of the role of masculinity the roles that people who are masculine are taught that they must embody are so strictly enforced that i i feel as if there's an enormous amount of pressure on masculine people and the feminine people in their lives end up being the pressure release valve you know where like everything just gets dumped onto them and that includes violence and abuse right yeah absolutely (sighs) but I I was just going to be like so just don't be passive people but that is clearly not an answer because feminine identified people who are not passive things often don't go well for them but again that's like a whole thing (laughs) that we could get into that will make me extremely depressed that we really don't have time to fit in this episode. Yeah, but I do think that it is important to note that if you step out of your role as a lady um, and step in, into the characteristics of what people think are masculine, mm-hmm. then people are still upholding these male supremacist ideologies that person is more likely to get violence Mm -hmm. than those who don't. Right. And so sometimes it's easier just to do your thing and, you know, not do what Dolly Parton has done. Right. It's sometimes worse for people who want to step into that bigger role. Yeah. If breaking those gender norms, even though femininity as a concept may not be as strictly defined as masculinity, stepping outside of the suggested behaviors for femininity and for performing femininity is extremely dangerous. Uh, Also stepping into roles of traditional femininity and out of the roles of masculinity for people who prefer, you know, that side is also equally dangerous because you're like exposing yourself to that patriarchal view of the receptacle right yeah and for some reason like enraging cisgender dudes who like I don't understand why there is so much anger about especially you know people who who were raised to be masculine or or started out as more masculine and then move over into the more feminine area of things like trans women I, I don't understand what the problem is. Like, are, is it like the home team is like mad that you're leaving? Is it that they're jealous that they can express themselves? No, 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 no. Men don't get those kind of feelings. I, yeah. They're not, they're not overreacting. They're just reacting. Oh, right. Yeah. It's totally legit. They're not being hysterical. (laughs) They're asserting themselves. 
heights. And oh those of us who stand up to it are overreacting and being hysterical. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so wild. I feel like um, there's just a, a huge conversation to be had about how like you can't, you can't perform femininity right. Like no matter where you started and where you end up, there's just, nobody's ever going to be like, Hey, good job. Hey, here's your female card. Like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense because from where I'm sitting, where I grew up in a family of cowboys, uh, extremely um, toxic, masculine group of people, uh, men can do everything, including what a woman can do, but don't. But <laughs> if I wanted to do these dishes, I would do them so much better than you do. <laughs> yeah. But then like those who do step it, step into the female gender roles would be considered doing it better. And yet men get so mad when somebody who is seen as masculine actually does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, where's the anger coming from? I just don't understand that part. Like there's some like visceral connection in their heart to like, oh no, someone's doing something unmanly. It personally offends me. I don't get what that is about. And there's well, so because much violence. Because women are the controllers of creation and by right. controlling women, you're controlling creation. But that's the thing. Not all women can have, can create life, you know? That's trans women and non-trans women alike like not everybody can have babies so like get I think that you're right like it is tied to that like fear of the feminine as this mysterious and powerful force but that it's a it's a very symbolic tie like in the moment of a bunch of dudes who just discovered that they had been hitting on someone who is a trans woman yeah. getting angry I mean, and beating the hell out of that woman like right. what, what but that's what my whole point that? is that it is all symbolic none of it is real and that technically all people are responsible for you know how humanity is right now and so mm -hmm. to really separate those two and say that this is why entirely based on creation but then you find th that people get angry when those norms are broken down by the people who are in the middle of these two sides of the spectrum mm -hmm. it comes to the triangle of money power and sex uh, when you are breaking down those things by not following the rules then it makes people angry who are upholding mm -hmm. those things oh right like they're spending all of their energy on upholding that triangle and when they mm -hmm. see somebody who's not doing it the way that they're doing it or just isn't doing it at all it's it's like the people who are getting really mad right now because they're talking about possibly forgiving some student loan debt and all of these people are like, you can't forgive other people's student loan debts because I paid off my student loans the hard way. And it's like, so what? Like, so you worked really hard. I'm sorry, that sucks. But like, why do you want to make other people suffer? <laughs> it's the same Maya. Like, you shouldn't have had to work that hard. And people shouldn't have to do that today. People right. should be able to buy houses without having to like figure out how to pay off all of their student loan debt yeah um and people should be able to like, 
you know, dress how they want to dress and express themselves how they want to express themselves. And just because you, sir, have decided to uphold all of the norms that the patriarchy has thrust upon you, that sucks for you. I'm sorry that you're uncomfortable with it, but like, you don't have to take it out on other people who live differently. I Well, it's because they're benefiting from it. Mm. When you're benefiting from it and you even kind of inherently like feel that that like beneficial relationship that you have with power is being taken away even by somebody else not following the rules then you're going to want to do everything you can to keep that power and that's like the same problem that we have with a lot of systemic issues in the United States today yeah when you're not upholding the rules of gender then you're saying that white straight males should not be the ones holding all the power oh my god you're totally right that is that's it that's the thing yeah all right well we did it let's uh (laughs) celebrate (laughs) pop the champagne let's do this yeah (laughs) we don't even need a second season now (laughs) yeah oh my god so this is this is our feminine finale yeah of season (laughs) one where we have really like we have cracked open some of the biggest topics about sexuality and gender in the the colonized world, um, which is the world that we live in right now. So yeah. mm-hmm. we're just getting started, people. <laughs> I'm so excited. We have we have a giant list of topics that we want to cover. Some of which are like smaller uh, categories nested under topics we've already discussed. Um, most of which we're going to come back to that triangle of sex, money, and power, which is probably mm-hmm. what we should have just named the podcast. <laughs> Damn it. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know what we're going to start back with because we have this huge list that we've got to go through and like pick our topics. But I think next season we're looking at doing some more interviews. Um, so we'll have more guests on and getting into more specific topics that we can really like dig into. Is there any that you're specifically like excited about? I'm particularly interested in talking more specifically about sex. Like I think Mm -hmm. we were doing a lot of like large overview episodes this season. Sex was always like brought up, but not really like focused on. And I have so many thoughts. (laughs) And lots of people who can talk uh, fluently about sex from many different angles. One thing that I wanted to talk about today, but didn't fit in, is how promiscuity or the lack thereof fits into definitions of femininity. There's lots of topics that, like you said, are more like based in sex and sexuality, but I feel like these main topics that we discussed (laughs) in the first, disgusted, the main (laughs) topics that we discussed in the first season are extremely important foundations to jump off into um, deeper topics of sex. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. um, we're going to go deep into sex soon. It's going to get very sexy in here. Yeah. Uh, hit us back up pretty soon for season two. So this is Lindsay G. This is Lenata Peppers. Oh my God. What did I do? Hi. I just used my full name. And you used your like professor voice. I did. I liked that. <laughs> you know okay, everybody. We have to sign off that. now because I have to get Lenny to use that voice more often. Like right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Ciao. Let our love be.
be a flame, not an ember. Say it's me that you want to dismember. Blacken my eye, set fire to my tie as we dance to the masochism tango. At your command, before you here I stand, my heart is in my hand. Ugh, it's here that I must be. My heart entreats, just hear those savage beats, and go put on your cleats and come and trample me. Your heart is hard as stone or mahogany. That's why I'm in such exquisite agony. My soul is on fire. It's a flame with desire, which is why I perspire when we tango. You caught my nose in your left castanet, love. I can feel the pain yet, love. Every time I hear drums, and I envy the rose that you held in your teeth, love, with the thorns underneath, love, sticking into your gums. Your eyes cast a spell that bewitches. The last time I needed 20 stitches to sew up the gash that you made with your lash as we danced to the masochism tango. Bash in my brain and make me scream with pain, then kick me once again and say we'll never part. I know too well I'm underneath your spell, so darling if you smell something burning it's my heart. Excuse me. Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre. Kiss tango.